Back in 2008, before Tinder, there was a site called Plenty of Fish. I'd set up my first online date at a pub downtown that had communal tables. Good start, right? A public space with other people around. I get there first and order myself a beer while I wait. He shows up and we get to chatting. He's definitely showing off his beer knowledge. He worked for some brewery in the North Shore. Great, I love a man with a passion. I ordered a meal because I haven't eaten yet and it's a dinnertime date, but he already had eaten. Not what I expected, but fair enough. Then a group of six guys show up and sit at our table. At first, I'm like, okay, cool. There's like 10 other tables. Why haven't you sat there? But they all start greeting him and saying hi to him. It turns out he invited six of his guy friends out on our first date. I just finish up my meal, I pay, and I politely excuse myself. As I'm walking up the stairs, I hear his friends go, oh, you should walk her to her car. I immediately respond with a no thank you, I can walk myself. And that was the last online date I went on for seven years. Can you blame me? Welcome to Self Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get into a one-minute summary of the book. It's hard to imagine marrying for anything but love, but as modern romance shows us, it's not that long ago that this was the truth for most marriages. Comedian and actor Aziz Anasari and American sociologist Eric Klinenberg researched the complexity of romance in our digital age. There's been a shift from marrying for companionship to marrying for love and passion, which has changed how people date. And while technology has expanded the dating pool to the point where location is no longer a factor, it's also increased pickiness and unrealistic expectations. Texting has become the preferred method of initiating contact, but it can hinder spontaneous conversation and lead to miscommunication. Profile pictures often drive decisions emphasizing looks over shared interests and values that take longer to explore. This doesn't even get into the sexting, cheating, snooping, breakups, but let's just say we can't use the same old blueprints to find our lifelong partner anymore. But understanding the landscape may give context to the burnout that comes hand in hand with online dating and lead you closer to success. And with that, let's dive in. Our guest today is John Huang, a communication expert with 10 years of experience in the tech industry, and unsurprisingly is coming to us from sunny California. So what does the tech and communication guru do in their spare time? Um, I'm a, I'm an avid uh, proponent of just physical health. I'm a, I love getting out there. I love running. Um, uh, my wife and I actually, we got to know each other a lot doing uh, what are obstacle course races. There's a big brand out there called Spartan Races mm-hmm. or Tough Mudder, those kinds of things. So we met doing that. We're very active people. And as a communication coach, um, I relate a lot of people being nervous about communication right. to doing long distance running. So I, I've associated those things a lot in terms of like meditation. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I learned I like running so much is uh, and this will kind of get into the topics of, of the book that we're talking about. But running is very meditative in that you only can focus on one mm. thing while you do it. And so for communication, a lot of people who are nervous just don't really know what they're going to say or they're afraid they're going to stumble or they're afraid they're going to fail or forget something. Right. And that's the exact same feeling you get when you're running a distance that you're not sure that you can actually run. Mm-hmm. If you're running 5K for the first time, 
um, you sort of understand, you sort of start noticing the same anxious behaviors. So that's a long-winded way to say I'm really into physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another aspect of, of part of uh, what I've learned about communication coaching. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we are at the end of the day animals and we have these instincts that in general, our society has distance ourselves from, like we don't notice how our body feels a lot of the time. And once you're aware of it, it's hard to turn off and you're constantly oh gosh, aware yeah. of how you feel. You had a really interesting dating romance journey. Um, so why don't we talk about the period before you started uh, maybe diving into some of these self-help books and modern romance, the book that you brought in? So I'll set the context and sort of like uh, my story and where I was at. So mm-hmm. I had come out of a relationship previously. Um, we were married for a very, very brief, short period of time. It didn't go well. And mm-hmm. after maybe about eight, seven or eight months, I think she just uh, she just decided she wanted to end it. So I had to do a lot of self-discovery at that time. Uh, my mom was just diagnosed with cancer at that wow. time. So I was working through a lot and trying to figure out who I was. Mm-hmm. And so I did a couple things in that sort of, in that journey. I call it my eat, pray, love year. Um, <laughs> I did some solo travel. That was the first time I had ever had the opportunity to do that. Mm. Um, I, I ran a half marathon in a foreign country in Scotland, uh, which was really exciting for me. And it was a way to sort of give myself uh, permission to do things that maybe I had created a narrative for previously right. that, Oh, I'm not allowed to do this or someone will judge me if I do this. Right. So, uh, part of that sort of self-discovery and learning period was solo travel as well as therapy. And sort of during that therapy process, it's understanding, hey, uh, I have to ask for myself a lot of internal questions and mm-hmm. identify a lot of things. And so that led me down the path of reading. And um, since I'm less of a physical book reader, I was going on a lot of these long runs and I realized, oh, audiobooks is perfect. Ah. So I started downloading a lot of audiobooks. And I had mentioned to you before an email uh, the subtle art of not giving an F and I, that I want to talk a little bit more about today, modern romance, that book was one that stuck out heavily to me and gave me a lot of insight. So that was my journey and how I sort of discovered this book. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that people go through that period of trying to figure out who you are outside of a relationship, especially if you get into it younger. Um, and it, mm-hmm. I've found like either you do that in your twenties or you do that in your forties and you're having a midlife crisis. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Somehow doing it in your twenties isn't as a big a deal. Yeah. Actually, I'd never heard that before, but it makes perfect sense. I, was probably right. I'm the equivalent of the 40-year-old person in the sense of I had been through one, like a six-year-long, more serious relationship that I felt like I was devoting myself to. Mm -hmm. Um, And then coming out of that in my early 30s thinking, oh, I have friends that are having kids now. What do I do with my time? How am I supposed to be successful? Is it really uh, one of the first things I think people in my shoes might experience is um, or ask ourselves is, do I want another relationship? Mm-hmm. Is that the right path to go down? Will I ever be ready for that? Or is that completely off the table? Is it okay that it's off the table? So all those questions were sort of being asked to myself. And I just, I, I downloaded Libby, um, and which is an app over that we use for to connect well. with your library. Yeah, your, your county library um, or any county library in the US. And I just started listening to whatever books I could mm-hmm. find that were just, you know, two to four week hold times and yeah. uh, modern romance came up. So Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about modern romance. Were there any things that stood out to you? Like, 
I'm guessing this is a while ago that you were listening to this book. What mm. were the stories and bits that stuck out to you? So what's fascinating about the book is that it comes at it from the lens of research. Mm-mm-mm. And he actually, Aziz Ansari is the comedian that um, helped write the book. And he worked with the sociologist. Name escapes me at the point, but he basically helmed and they helped fund a lot of research mm-hmm. that dove into um just what modern romance and modern dating yeah. is like. And, and I think I had a couple key takeaways. And I, and I think one of the first things that it made me realize was I, I came from a phase where, so I graduated college in 2008. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated college, I think the first iPhone had just released in 2007. <laughs> so no, there's no such thing as online or, or app dating, I should say. Right. There was online dating, but it wasn't nearly as popular. Right. It had more of a negative stereotype to it. It wasn't as widely accepted. Um, you know, your websites like OkCupid and, and eHarmony, just like your, your very basics. A Plenty of Fish was one that was uh-huh. <laughs> that also existed. Yeah. yeah. And so you, they, at that age, as, as I sort of came out of my long-term relationship, and I would say that was 2017, 2018 or so, mm-hmm. oh. I came into this world of, oh, this everything's different now. For sure. Everything is different. The way people perceive things is different. The way people communicate is different. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine actually joked when I was going through this phase of online dating and she said, oh, what you should put in your profile is that you enjoy FaceTiming because I FaceTime these friends a lot. Right. I FaceTime a lot of people on my, right. on my list a lot. And she said it like it was a surprise. And I was like, oh, do you, do you really not <laughs> FaceTime people? Is this not a thing? And they said, actually, I'll be honest. I like it when you FaceTime, but... There's no one else that we face. No, no one people ever have this. so much social anxiety when it comes to even getting on the phone. My friends are like, why yeah. are you calling? I'm like, we have like five questions to get through. It's faster if we just yeah. stay and talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. I find that so much easier. So if I'm trying to text someone um, and this goes into what the book talks about, it's just if I'm trying to text someone, I have to read. Depending on the person, I want to reread that text multiple times yeah. to make sure that I'm providing context or that it has the right tone. Tone is upset, just completely you know. lost. Like you need to it's, add five different emojis to, to take you yeah. through the emotional yeah. journey. So I'll, I'll try to summarize the biggest lessons that I took away from this book. And the, one of the first things that I learned was I, I read this or I listened to this audio book when I was in the midst of I was on Hinge, I was on Tinder, on mm-hmm, Bumble. Mm-hmm. And so I was active. And what it made me realize was that I needed to actually care about online dating mm. if I wanted to be successful at it. Just right. not saying that I really needed to be fake with my image, right, right, right. but learning that, hey, if your goal is to go on a date with someone, you need to present yourself in a way that's that people want to do that with you. Right. You have to realize that you don't get to talk. This is just pictures and text if you're lucky. So you have to do with that and learn how to market yourself. What you're saying is you started doing some UX design, made a user profile of who your target market was and decided like that's what pictures exactly That's exactly it. And I was doing a little bit of user testing, a little bit of A-B testing. You're kidding. I, would, I, met up, I met up with my cousin, just like, hey, here's my profile. Can you just like really quick, what would you tell me about this? Like, don't do this. Don't do this. Uh-huh. You don't have a fish picture in your that profile. So you're good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, it was just a lot of testing. And I realized for myself, I'm someone who I get so much anxiety over posting on social media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think you actually said this in the episode with Magda, in the conversation with Magda. And mm-hmm. I heard this from someone else recently as well, that it, if it 
it doesn't feel valuable, then it doesn't feel worth our time. And mm-hmm. then so to me, it's also the aspect of like digital communication mm-hmm. that I realized, oh, I used to treat this as something that nobody cares about this. Right. This is a not real world. And that right. is still true. It's digital. It's fake. Um, it's this eth- ethereal platform. But the reality is if my end goal as the user, if my end goal on this journey is to get a date with someone that's substantial and I can continue going on dates with that person, um, then I need to care about the first time they right. see me or interact with me, which is going to be fully digital. Right. Uh, so I had to learn to be just stop treating it like it was just, ah, uh, it's not a big deal. Don't do that. Like actually it's, it's okay to care about it. And I think right. for a lot of, especially for a lot of men, my assumption is that, uh, you know, we, we think of things like caring about our self image mm-hmm. or posting on social media as self-aggrandizing right. or, or self-centered shallow, or egotistic, yeah. shallow. Yeah. So uh, I noticed, especially in Asian cultures and Asian American cultures, I noticed that none of my friends post on social media. Um, I think everyone just has this idea of I'm going to pretend like the reason is that I'm too cool for it or that I'm above right. it. But the real reason is I'm really just too shy and I don't know how to do it. Right. So I'm just going to, I, I have a running joke with my friends. Like we don't like to share, but we like it when our wives post about us so that we can just <laughs> reshare it ourselves so that we uh, can seem like, Oh, you know, I don't care that. Right. Anyway. So I think the biggest first takeaway was you got to be okay with just putting yourself out there. And I think if you relate that to pre modern times mm-hmm. when um, it was, you got to go out to singles meetups or you got to right. go to an activity that you might meet someone with a, with a common interest it's still putting yourself out there. I right. think this book just tries to take everything and transpose it to modern times, right. modern romance in the context of the digital age and dating and apps and tries to tell you, well, the same things are applying. We're mm-hmm. still doing the same things. You just got to think about it a little bit differently. Right. It's a different interface so. that you're looking at now. I think especially for millennials who remember the days pre-internet and then after internet, it's hard for us to make that switch. For so long, we were thinking of the internet as like somewhere that you escape to, somewhere that you like have this secondary life, but now it's completely swapped. People use the internet and then you escape by going into the real world, going on a hike where no one knows who you are, right? Um, so so once you start realizing like that, the internet has become our professional lives, like everything is linked to your LinkedIn, um, you start taking it more seriously and start thinking like, okay, this is kind of like a resume. This is my first time meeting somebody just like I would put on my nice shirt. (laughs) You got to do that for your dating profile as well. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I remember one very, very tangible experience. I I was on a date with someone and maybe we were like two or three dates in or so. Um, And a conversation topic came up when we talked about what are our feelings about the first date being a coffee date or a dinner date. Mm. And for the longest time, when I first started off, I was just doing coffee dates. And I realized my intent, I had to do a little bit of internalizing. And why do I keep going on these coffee dates? Mm -hmm. It's because I subconsciously don't want to come off too aggressive or be a creep in any capacity. I have a high fear or anxiety against like, I don't want to come off too strong or too creepy or anything. So I'm not going to do, I'm not going to say, let's jump right into dinner. Let's jump right into drinks. That gives a wrong idea. That's so interesting. 
with this girl and I had asked her out to dinner instead and we went to dinner and she said, you actually suggested coffee date in our first conversation. And to me, that's not a good use of my time. If you're going to ask me out on a coffee date, seems like you're not going to take this seriously. And I realized, oh, I didn't realize that that's what it came yeah. off as in my sort of my high anxiety overthinking, oh no, I don't want to come off like this or this or this. I actually didn't realize that I wasn't putting enough of a foot forward. Right. Um, and so that was one of the ways that sort of played out. Right. Yeah. No, that was what I was going to mention as well. I have a friend whose rule was always go on a coffee date first, go for breakfast. Cause here, especially there's a very transient dating pool. So there's a lot of tourists jumping in in Bali. Uh, so it's her way of weeding people out and being like, I don't want to have drinks with someone. I don't want you to get the wrong idea that something is happening. But I, mm. yeah, I guess context really matters depending on where you are and what country city you're in. Um, yeah. It can totally change the perception yeah. of it. Yeah. And this book actually dives into one of their chapters. They talk about the cultural differences. The, the majority of the book is really cool because all the studies are U.S. based, mm -hmm. but they do talk about cultural norms. Mm -hmm. And they, they actually use, um, they use Japan and Argentina yes. as like complete opposite uh, environments. And you probably remember in Japan, they were actually saying surprise. I guess culturally, you wouldn't necessarily think it, but hookup culture is way bigger in Japan because people aren't really getting into long-term relationships. They don't mm -hmm. feel the need to. Uh, they they mention some issues such as a lot of men feeling insecure if a woman makes close to the amount of money they make, yeah. for example. And then also just the cost of childcare seems so much more expensive in comparison today. Um, and then with that combined with their work culture of, I have to pay for all this childcare yeah. and I still have to work 13 hours a day. Um, that's that really impacts their dating culture and the way they treat it. Whereas I think they use the complete opposite side where you have Argentina, where they were saying, Oh, you, you have things like more, what we would consider more aggressive behavior, especially mm -hmm. as Asians or myself, Asian Americans, that type of behavior is actually much more culturally welcome. Like just like catcalling to a degree, probably, you know, just a little more aggressive behavior from men. Right. Um, and then for the receivers of that, it's a lot of you have to play it coy. You don't want to seem too eager. So many right? games. <laughs> I know. And so I think the book does a really good job of highlighting these cultural differences. And, and I think one, the other big lesson that I took away from it was from the sort of cultural and also just understanding, hey, you know, we, we hate to describe it this way, but when you look at online dating and to some degree it is a numbers game it's it just the unfortunate like kind of like the truth of it um guys and girls experience it very differently yes. <laughs> on average yes. um especially where i'm from over here in the u.s you know it's a very we follow the very typical like guys are getting one match a week maybe girls are getting a million people messaging them mm -hmm. a day so you have to it's a different di different ways of weeding it out or, or finding sort of um but i think it just makes the what the book really tries to tell you is there's so many different ways to handle and perceive this that you're not going to have a hundred batting hours. No. You're not going to, it's not going to be perfect. And you really just have to understand that um, their behavior doesn't necessarily reflect poorly on you, no. someone else's behavior. I mean, you yeah. don't want to date every single person on the app either, right? So your yeah. profile is to weed out who you actually would connect with. And hopefully yeah. if you can get your profile on that. So going back to that, A, mm -hmm. 
did your profile end up finding you, your wife? And B, what were like the biggest takeaways that you had um, in dating in this modern world? Um, the, the first answer is a short no. I actually met my wife doing... Uh, we we have an interesting story. We met our freshman year of college. I won't dive oh. too deep into it now. We met first year of college. We never spoke. We Our moms saw each other orientations the day before we started college. Our moms met, said hi, and I was a very rebellious child. So when she <laughs> said, this is my friend's daughter, you guys should hang out. I did not speak to her ever again. I saw her throughout college. We stayed Facebook friends, but I honestly never spoke to her. Right. And then I saw her at a Spartan race, like oh. probably 17 or 18 years later. I happened to see her at a race. Uh, we were both doing them at the same time. And so I just said, hey, you want to race together in the future? Um, and that's kind of how we connected. So that's the answer to the first wow. part. And then the second part in terms of the the still like the big takeaway, I would say the big takeaway was, you know, the first thing that I had mentioned was just being a little bit more self-aware mm-hmm. of your image and saying, hey, it's okay to try. You know, you don't, not everyone has to be the cool aloof guy or the cool aloof girl who's not going to try that hard and say, oh, I don't really care about this. It's okay to try, you know, just, you don't want to come off desperate, but in your head, if this is what you want and this is your goal, then you should put some effort into it. Right. Um, The next thing that I, that I really took away from it, and this was a huge one, um, was what I had mentioned earlier about learning how to not take things so personally. Mm-hmm. And I think the the tangible example of that was learning that talking about ghosting behavior, because mm-hmm. I think that is one of the more penultimate examples of how modern dating had added a new dimension to just romance in general. For sure. Because, um, I mean, we had this, we had communication before we had letters going back and forth. We had phone calls, but ghosting was never as much of a prominent issue back then. I think because, you know, I would imagine back in the day, if you had a handwritten letter and a handwritten letter, you're going to take the opportunity. Right. Like, yeah, you're going to appreciate it. For sure. In terms of the ghosting thing, I think you go through cycles. I'm going to make assumptions here that other, I probably represent the majority of people that are online. Mm -hmm. So we, when I say we, I mean, we go through cycles. Mm-hmm. We, there's periods, a couple of weeks where you're like, you know what, I'm going to try. I'm going to put some effort into this. And then after just weeks of either rejections or ghosts or things that don't go anywhere, or you're just meeting the same caliber, right. you're having the same caliber of conversation. You, you just get tired of it and you get right. burnt out. And then eventually, uh, instead of getting ghosted, then you might actually start exhibiting some of those behaviors too, because you see it as socially acceptable. It's like, oh, ghost someone once in a while. That's fine. Um, But the reality is, I think what that taught me was I would see other people do it to me Mm -hmm. and it would suck so bad. And I would get hurt a little bit every single time. But I would always tell myself, that's no big deal. They they probably had something else going on. Um, but internally, it still sucked. Like, it still stung. I wasn't able to really, really let that go as much as I, I, I thought I was able to. Um, and then I think what that helped me realize is my behavior and how I communicate, mm-hmm. I should be more intentional. Because it doesn't, not that it doesn't take effort. I do think it does take emotional effort to, to be the person to say, hey, I really had a great time talking to you, but I just don't, this isn't where I really right. where I want to see my life going or I don't really see this going anywhere but it's really nice to meet you 
Um, I think it, it takes effort to really sure. try and craft that message because you're putting yourself out there and you're saying, hey, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I know this is going to sting a little bit, mm -hmm. but I just want to be honest with you. And I realized the few times I actually got that message, I actually felt it It also sucked, but it was way easier to get over. There's certainty, like, right? Rather than yeah. waiting and being like, oh, maybe they just lost their phone. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, you get closure. Yeah. And it may, what the biggest thing I learned from it was just to try to be the example of mm. the behavior that you want to exhibit. And so I tried to do that as well. Hey, you know what? Just want to let you know, this is kind of where I see this going, you know, putting that out there. And then it, it, that even that message would slowly evolve over time. Because at first I was thinking, oh, I'm naturally more on the people pleasing side. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, that, oh, you know, I'd love to be friends, blah, blah, blah. And I quickly realized nobody nope. wants to be friends. <laughs> no. We're that not does... on dating apps to find friends. <laughs> no. So at first I would I would get a little mini phase where I was asking people, hey, do you still want to be friends or something? Let's just like go hang out, whatever. And I look back now and I cringe when mm. I sent those texts because I realized, oh, how... You're trying to soften the blow. Yeah, but like almost in their head, it's like, just don't don't beat around the bush. Just don't waste my time, you know? Right. And I realized that's what I was doing to other people. And then, then I really made a commitment to say, hey, if I'm going to communicate with you, I'm going to see this one through to the end, whatever that is. Even if the end is literally within five texts of like, hey, cool, just letting you know, I don't see this. I don't have to give an explanation, but I'm still letting you know that, hey, I'm going to stop talking to you intentionally mm -hmm. so that you don't have to expect another message from me. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. I don't always even need to know why. I just need to know that that is going to happen or else it's just sort of like this hanging thread that will never resolve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel like this is part of growing up as well, though, like in your 20s, you're not really sure what you're looking for. So the wishy washiness of ghosting is acceptable. Oh, yeah. But when you get to a point in your life where you're like, I can see my future, and I'm now a serious person, <laughs> I need to act <laughs> like a serious person. And that includes yes. communicating because once you you have to start doing that in your dating phase or else you get into a relationship and you're still that wishy-washy person where you're like, there's conflict. I'm just not going to touch it now. I'm just yeah. back away slowly instead of being like, hey, this bothers me. I think that's it. And, and I feel I'm going to assume that as someone who's also in communication like yourself, mm -hmm. you know, we see this in all kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. And I see this, especially growing up with you know, I'm first generation. I was born in the U.S. Me too. Uh, my parents are from Canadian. Taiwan. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think I have a much different sense of what it means to communicate uh, <laughs> from an emotional perspective than the rest of my family. I'm trying to sort of even exude that behavior and show them like, hey, I want to communicate with you on this. Mm -hmm. I want you to be able to feel like you can express your feelings to me. But I think... In these areas, a lot of it is just conflict avoidance. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, that's really what it comes down to. Um, and that's also what I'm sort of taking away from the book and my own personal experience is that a lot of us are really, nobody likes to break up conversation. Um, I remember in the past, I had a, a relationship that sort of went on and off and it was very unhealthy for, for both of us. Um, but we were young and we didn't know any better. And I think I, I always fell into a place where I would just say, okay, we'll just, we'll stay together, you know? And, and I think in my head, I realized I was not doing anyone any favors by saying that because I wasn't being honest with what I wanted. I was just pushing away the inevitable conversation of, 
I don't really see us to get a long term. Right. Um, so I think that's really one of my biggest takeaways is that we're really avoiding that social anxiety or the communication anxiety is we just don't know how how to deliver mm-hmm. the tough news or have the tough conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this bleeds into both professional and personal life, right? Where even just telling someone like, hey, I'm not going to meet that deadline is really tough for people. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like I exhibit the same thing, you know, being at work, especially if I'm not going to meet a certain deadline, you know, I get very anxious about it, but I know at the end of the day, it's better to set expectations mm-hmm. for that person that, hey, I don't know if I can make this for Thursday, let them know ahead of time so that we can plan for it together. For sure. um, I remember there was, there was a time even at work when I remember I was just having trouble with this one team that I was working with. Um, I was a project manager at the time and I was working with this engineering manager and he just, he always kind of, I got the sense that he didn't really like me that much. Mm. And when I felt like in the team that, Hey, we weren't doing too well. I I was a project manager and I I felt the very typical of why is he telling us what to do when he's not a programmer type of sort of uh, that sort of environment. And I tried something that I hadn't really tried at work before, which Mm -hmm. was I sat him down in a room and I told him, more non-tangible feelings about how I felt. I tried to use more kind of relationship communication tactics. And I said, hey, this is what I'm noticing. I feel like the way that you treat me in meetings, I feel like you don't like me. And I just saw him backtrack so much right after I said that because it made him vulnerable. It said, oh, this guy's being vulnerable. Now I have to also match that because I don't want to be I don't want to be a mean person. Right. So I'm going to respond to that and, and try to be vulnerable as well. And so that, that type of conversation at work, even those are the hardest ones, but yeah. those are the most productive ones for me. Because yeah. when I can talk to a coworker, especially about, Hey, you know, tell me what's going on personally. And let's try to dig into this. Then you build a connection. And then if they are your direct report they're you're going to get to have a better relationship with them and they're going to be more open with you. Right. And I think same thing. This is why my wife and I get along so well, taking it back to relationships, like romantic relationships is that I think she creates a safe space for me to try to communicate mm-hmm. and say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling because she's not afraid to have those conversations. Um, and then, so it's very empowered me a lot to not be afraid to have those conversations as well. And then it really feels like you're part of a team rather than, cause I've had similar experience where coworker, there was a lot of resistance there and being honest and open and being transparent. They're like, Oh, actually like this person wants to help me. And I've been seeing them as the obstacle as the enemy. But now that we're on the same team, suddenly like all these barriers are gone. And that's the, again, the same in relationships, right? Um, when you're having those moments of conflict, it's not because the other person wants to do you harm. There's just some sort of miscommunication or like mis- yeah, misunderstanding that once you yeah. can get through that and see each other's perspectives, you can be more aware of what the other person needs. Totally. Yeah. And a lot of it is, it comes down to what I learned in communication by going through this sort of phase of my life where I was trying to go through a lot of self-help books as well, mm-hmm. was um, one of my biggest weaknesses and uh, was that I I don't know how to communicate what I want. Mm. But then when I sort of dive to try to dissect that or internalize that and try to understand why what I realize is, 
oh, I don't know what I want because growing up in my probably cultural influence as well as gender societal influences, uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm allowed to tell people, hey, I want this because it sounds selfish. If, If I was at dinner with my family and somebody said, do you want dessert? I would just say, no, it's not a big deal. You know, it's in, um, in Chinese, it's, uh, it's like, we all mafan, which it's kind of in English is like, Oh, I don't want to bother you. Like it's no right, big right, deal. Right, you know, right. you have to seem like you don't want anything that you're courteous of everyone else's feelings constantly. So the reason why I went solo traveling mm-hmm. after my big breakup was because I realized this was always something I dreamed of doing, mm-hmm. but I always thought it was a dumb idea. Right. Uh, why would I ever go solo travel? Why would I ever do this on my own right. when I can find someone to do it with? Or why don't I get some friends to go? But something told me that even though it would be a little weird, maybe maybe a little lonely, I felt like it was something that I had to do because I wanted it. And right. through that started a journey of me realizing, oh, if I want something, it's okay. And I have to verbalize it or else whoever I'm communicating with will never know what I'm thinking right. and they can't react to it in the way that I need them to react to it. Yeah. And I think we're a lot of my guests, a lot of Asian men are, are trapped <laughs> in that same level of like, I can't tell you what I want. Right. I mean, even just solo traveling, that means every day you have to decide what you want rather than trying to cater to whoever you're with. Right. Cause when you're traveling with someone, you're like, mm, but they don't really like eating this thing. Like they might need to use the bathroom at this time. <laughs> like you're, oh my gosh. it's constantly mental load. And the first time where you're like, what do I want to do? It's overwhelming. Like yeah. figuring out that I actually don't know what I want to do. Whew, that must've been a journey. Would, that you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's exactly it. My wife and I remember we went to Costa Rica once. And there was one time where I, I was, I didn't really know what I wanted, but I think she, the, we take turns back and forth, depending on who wanted to go to whatever place. Mm-hmm. Then one person will usually just end up planning a little bit more. We don't really have too much of an imbalance where we both really like to plan and go international places. So we were traveling once and it was just kind of exhausted one afternoon. And I just saw this coffee shop and we passed by it. And I just, I just wanted to sit inside right. it and grab a treat or have a croissant or something. And I just, that's just in my head. And then we started walking and I said like, Hey, do you want to go check out that coffee shop? And she said, no, I'd rather just uh, start heading over towards our dinner place. Mm-hmm. And I started getting grumpy, like super <laughs> slowly. I started noticing, you know, I got that, I get a little bit of hangriness. Right. Like, Why am I? And then she just stops me and she's very, obviously very good at reading. She's like, Hey, sums up what's, what's going on with you right now. I said like, I had to really, you know, take those opportunities. And I realized, oh, you know what? I actually did want to go to that coffee place. She said, why didn't you tell me? I said, I did tell you. I was like, no, you asked me if I wanted to go. (laughs) Oh, that makes total sense. You don't know that I actually want to. And then when I talked about it, I was like, oh, in that moment, I was actually just pretty tired. I really just wanted to sit down, have a coffee, have a croissant. That's all I wanted. It wasn't because of that coffee shop or it wasn't because of the time of day. I was just tired and right. I couldn't express that. Right. And so she's been able to bring that out of me and say like, hey, it's okay. Just if you want to do something, just tell me. <laughs> if you tell me you want it, I will be much more accommodating. Otherwise, if I'm the one planning it, I'm like you said, I'm constantly thinking, oh, what if people want to do this? What if people want to do this? Right. That's why I'm, I'm very hesitant to travel in big groups, mm. especially with friends, just because I know that. I will want to do separate things from the group. Yeah. Like I, for example, I have a group of friends that if we travel together, 
they'll want to have a drink with every meal. I am not that person. Right. Um, I'll, I'll leave that usually for when the sun drops down or on the weekends. You know, I like to be really active when I go out. It's a big anxiety battle in my head. Of, oh, well, people want to do this. Will they be happy doing this? I don't know. Will they like doing this? Definitely the communication aspect has, has taught me to, hey, say what you want. And then yes. the, the, the solo traveling taught me how I travel. And so it made me realize, oh, I like doing these types of things. So now when I travel with groups, I'm, or even with my wife, there's times when we say like, oh, do you really want to do this? I really want to do this. We just separate for the day. Right. And we just check in with each other and make sure it's okay. Yeah. We're very respectful of each other's like wants and needs and say, you want to do this. You just got to tell me you want to do it. Right. And, then we'll, and not then take we'll, it we'll personally. It like it's not because yeah. I hate you. I just don't want to watch a movie right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think that actually helps, helps us grow because when we make those conscious decisions to do what somebody else wants, you're both verbally acknowledging it. And yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I'm on the back foot because now you're doing something that I want. And maybe my anxiety head will, will feel a little bit bad but now we have an understanding. Mm-hmm. Now, in a way, you've done something for me. I'm much more likely to want to do what you want to do next. Right. And we're just going to have a back and forth. And we can have such a healthy way to travel together. And obviously, that means everything else in life, like everything you're doing together. Right. Um, it's just so much easier because we care about each other and you want to listen. But if you don't communicate, that other person is never going to know what's going on inside your head. And it's just going to build up inside because more than likely, if you're not talking about it, you probably don't know that it's going on in your head either. Exactly. Once you know what's going on, you can't stop the words from coming out, right? Then it's refining it and making sure that the message is received well on the other end as well. (laughs) 100%. I I really believe believe in that. And I think um, like we talked about with work, I'm realizing this too. And um and with personal relationships, whether it be friends or family or partners, um, all of that stuff, a lot of it comes down to we're afraid of having tough conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't always know how to identify what we actually want or what right. makes us motivated because we don't know how to. And what, what that shows is we don't know how to communicate that with other people, right? which then causes resentment to build up. I can see why you also wanted to talk about the five languages of love then, like that articulating <laughs> what you want and being able to tell someone and know what you want. That was really that helpful. Was, yeah. Yeah, definitely. From that, from that aspect of, you know, not diving too much in, too deep into it, I think would have helped me out a lot with just, um, hey, if you were to describe what you want in one of five ways, how would you do it? Right. Which is so much easier. It's that trick that we say, hey, uh, do you want do you want dinner option A, B, or C today? Exactly. Instead of what do you want to eat? You know, giving him that that closed box. Right. Like, okay, I can still say something outside of this, but at least I can react to something. Right. And that's mentally a loss a lot easier Way to react easier. to something than to think of something on the spot. Getting back into modern romance, let's oh, yeah. get uh so last question, who would you recommend mm-hmm. this book to? I think it applies directly to people who are in the throes of online dating. Mm. Um, I'll describe my exact scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was that, I was that person. I was going through Hinge, Bumble, and Tinder, back and forth, and going through cycles. Just like a month on, a month off. Yeah. A couple of weeks where I was really excited. And maybe I finally updated my pictures or I said, you know what, I'm going to try a new approach. And I was actively getting feedback on it with my friends and going on dates and trying to talk to people. Um, and then there were phases where I just, my self-esteem and my, my mental health just dropped because of 
just all this negative self-talk, mm. all like the ju- the judgments that you're just making assumptions. Someone said something and you're interpreting it 50 different negative ways that you that really don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this book will really provide a perspective of what being a numbers game actually means. I think we can right. say it's a numbers game and that is depressing, but I think what this book does is it takes the numbers game, turns it into research and shows, hey, Take it seriously, but also at the same time, don't take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, learn how to put yourself out there to get what you want, to communicate what you want. But at the same time, realize that when somebody says something, they you cannot interpret that at face value. You have to right. interpret it. You, you can't take it too personally, and you have to just take it and move on. And, and don't let the negative self-talk get to you. So, so anyone who's in the throes of sort of that back and forth cycle of doing a lot of online dating... I hate online dating. I hate these apps. I'm going to delete them, delete my accounts. And if you're going back and forth on that, right. I think this is a perfect book for you. Yeah. And it's also, for me, the chapters that really stood out to me was when they were comparing what romance and marriage was like decades ago and what yeah. it is now and understanding, <laughs> yes, it is actually much harder to date nowadays because you have so many options. You like location is no longer an issue. Um, yeah. But also romance back then there were a lot of reasons why people got married that is less romantic women wanting to escape their parents and then realizing like they just get into another not trap but like they're they're under someone else's control um understanding that and understanding like why it's so difficult and it's not as easy as it was i don't know for me made me not get so down on myself when dates didn't work out. It's like, yeah, this is a numbers game. This is hard, but the end result hopefully is something much better than I could have achieved 20 years ago. Yeah. And I, I what you said is is so spot on. I, and I, I think I remember that section of the book, a lot of it, they, they really set up the context in the intro mm. area. And they really talk about how, you know, back in the day, just even 50, 60 years ago, you imagine the average woman, especially in the U.S., did not have a job. So when they were dating, they were dating for sustainability and who's going to provide for my family. Right. It's interesting. We both read this book. We've both applied it to online dating, but you found your wife offline and I found my boyfriend offline. So (laughs) the moral of the story is get offline. (laughs) (laughs) Go do something you like. I mean, I, I thought about that because at the end of the day, what is, uh, I'll bring this to design a little bit. You yes. think about the user and the user journey. Uh-huh. If your end goal is to have some type of relationship, maybe it's a family, maybe it's just a partnership, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, it's probably in person. And so all this stuff that you do online is just leading to this end goal of you being in person. So at the end of the day, this the online dating is one medium for you and mm-hmm. one pathway for you to get that in-person relationship. Right. But if we don't have that method, you have so many other ways as well. Right. And I think for you and I who have found that offline, um, I think that goes to show that, you know, these authentic relationships, authentic relationships are not being built online. Online is just a way to get to those authentic relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. at the end of the day, if your end goal is is in person, um, that's still that that's the person that we want to work on. Right, right, right. Yeah, you need to like having multiple avenues, not just focusing on one will broaden your chances. Cause there are the people who have not read this book and haven't thought like, Oh, I really need to put more effort into my online dating and they're focused on offline and great people out there as well. 
So thank you so much for being on the podcast. If people are looking for you, where can they find you? Oh, great. Um, yeah, they can find me on uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find me on Instagram. Uh, I am sharing communication tips mm-hmm. as a Valley Speaking Co. V-A-L-U-E-S-P-E-A-K-I-N-G-C-O. That's on Instagram. Um, just starting out there. So if uh, hopefully you can find some tips that help you out. But yeah, thank yeah. you for this conversation. I really enjoyed thank speaking you. with you and and sharing our, the, these ideas that we have. It's been really fun talking to another person who loves communication so much because that's like where I nerd out a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's been yeah. really fun. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed, stop what you're doing right now and give me a rating on your app. It really helps other people find me. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.